This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 120 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, brought to you in association with Sports Social, the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network, and also Fanatics. Delighted to say we've been joined. I think for his hat trick appearance on the show today, and that's Nottinghamshire and England cricketer Jake Ball. Jake, how is the injury recovery going? Yeah, it's going going really well actually. Um, it's it's been a been a long one, bit of a frustrating one, but starting to see the the light at the end of the tunnel now. So it's uh, getting to the uh, exciting stage of it where I can start bowling and batting, and um, I'm doing a lot more physical based stuff. So uh, yeah, it's um, I say it's been a, been a long one, but hopefully now we're we're getting towards the, the back end of it now. Great to hear, mate. Anyway. Great, great to hear. Dude, we can't get you. We can't get you on and not ask you about obviously your thoughts on the Ashes. I, I watched. I stayed up to watch some bits of it. Um, what it was worth. But uh, what what was your thoughts? Uh, well, I was, like I was saying, I stayed up to watch the first few, and I I kept getting asked before it. I did a few like lunches and stuff before, and it's like saying, "What do you think?" And I said, "The first test is so key. If mm. you let them get on top." it could be a whitewash. If we come out with it with a draw, then that would be a good result. We could take some confidence, but I just think we we just lost so much confidence in that first test. We didn't go into it without with any um without with any confidence really because we, we missed a lot of our uh, warm up games through the weather. Obviously yeah. the you have to isolate I had that last year when I went to play for in the Big Bash. You, know, mm. you don't realize how much 14 days in a hotel room takes out of you. It's like I came, I came out of it, and I was like, I felt so sluggish. It took me two or three weeks to get up to pace, and by that time, you you could have played two or three games. So it's like it, it, it was an ideal preparation, but I don't think that again, I don't think that's an excuse. But um, yeah, I think I think they they missed the trick in the first test, not playing one of 
uh, Stuart Broad or, or Jimmy Anderson because I think that was such a, a big big test for for the series. Yeah, and the experience those boys have got in it. I know, I know, obviously our record over there isn't exactly stellar, but when we have done well over there, we you are right. We've normally done or been really competitive in that first test, haven't we? Um, yeah, yeah. And that's always the key. You are right. Yeah. Yeah, their their media and their fans are very very fickle. When they're doing well, they get behind them and and support them really well. But also on the other side, when they aren't doing as well, then they really get on their back as well. So that's why I, I said if if we can put some doubts into the fans and media over there, then they do get stuck into their players quite quickly. So um, yeah, that was that was disappointing when I when I saw the the first team. I mean, it was still a, a good side, but I think you need the ex- people who have had experience to play over there because it it does it does require something a little bit different playing over there. Yeah, the media can be summed up by uh, how smug the smug when they're winning. It's like Warner in it can be summed uh, up in just basically Warner yeah. as a player in it. He's smug yeah. when he's winning, when he's losing, he's a sore loser in it. So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but what about we got we got on the wrong side of it, didn't we? So. What about the run situation? I mean, I, I obviously kept the breath the most of it, and I think the openers struggled, didn't they? And then obviously Root was having to come in and, and obviously try and salvage more than he should have done. But I think obviously we were trying some new 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 opening partnerships. I think do you think that's an area we really need to focus on? Because I don't think we barely scored over three hundred, did we? In in most most innings, really. No, no, I, I don't know. I think that was that's that's part of the problem as well we didn't really stick with with one I think we, yeah my experience being out there two or three years ago is that as soon as things start going wrong you start changing stuff too quickly and rather than actually giving players time to adjust to the different pitches out there the, the speed of the ball because they do bowl faster they, they don't you don't experience pace like that too often playing county cricket but you'd back their skill and ability to adapt over a, a, a period of a couple of games. I just don't think we, we gave our players enough time to, to adapt. Because I think, I think we had seven or eight players where it was, it was their first Ashes, not even just their first wow. away Ashes, but their first Ashes. So I think you just got to give them a chance to develop and, and grow into it and give them experience. Yeah, Matthew. And especially when you look at like, when we have done it before though, you know, Cook was unreal, wasn't he? When he had that yeah. series where he scored a ridiculous number of runs, he got a few centuries. Um yeah. and I thought he was great commentating actually when I watched it on, on Sky, I thought he was brilliant. You know, he gives you a real insight into it because obviously he's been there and played on those pitches, like you said. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a lot different. I'm not sure who's more depressing to watch. The England cricket team in Australia. <laughs> I've actually had quite a depressing winter then, haven't I? <laughs> watching Everton, watching Everton, watching England, and with a just had back surgery. I, I don't know. I've got through. Oh no, very difficult, difficult Somehow. times. You need, to, you, need to, you need to be having a few sessions with Pete as the resident clinical psychologist, mate. After this, <laughs> no, I will. I will do. I'll stay on the line. <laughs> I need a good psychologist. Mates, mates rates, mates rates as well, yeah. Pete. But it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't help that our psychologist at Knotts is a Villa fan. He was texting me all day yesterday. Oh, God. Yeah, Last thing exactly. you need. I'm not... Well, that's, 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 that's an ideal, an ideal way into just forcing the, the latest uh, instalments of the, the soap opera that is Everton Football Club. And 
obviously lost another game at Goodison Park. Um, Duncan Ferguson's first game in charge as, as interim manager. And th- there was certainly a lift in the week. I, I felt, you know, well, th- there most definitely was, you know, the after the re- removal of the manager and the build up to, to this game. And there was a lot of lot of flashbacks to, to that Chelsea game when Big Dunk took over. Um, and, and obviously it certainly gave the fan base a lift. Um, that's for sure. I don't know what, what everyone thought, but I, I thought in the build-up to the game, maybe it's just me, but even on Friday, listening to Big Dunk, I don't think he sounded like he sounded when he took over last time. I think that the he was slight, slightly downplaying things a little bit more, slightly more subdued. Maybe it's because, I mean, he said himself he's he, he's learned from the last time being in charge and I think he was a, he was overly emotional last time as opposed to now maybe he's just just taking a little bit more of a reserved reserved outlook on things but I felt he was a little bit more subdued and I know you said to me on the phone last night Lee that we were all there at the game obviously and, and he wasn't announced to the crowd probably no, he wanted I thought that, that was way. strange yeah yeah probably wanted it that way um I felt that might have built Built up things a little bit more if, if he was announced personally, but I think maybe he said, "Listen, being there, done that. Let's get on. Let's get on with the game." But I just felt it was a little bit, a little bit flat and, and, and a lot different to what we saw when he was he was in charge last. Um, but I've got a question. I'll, I'll Peter. I'll, I'll bring in at this point. When you saw that team yesterday, and we always seem to go on about to start eleven, don't we? And when we see the team breaking out before the game. It certainly raised a few eyebrows, didn't it? And someone rightly pointed out if that was a, a certain Spanish manager who's just left the club, um, I'm, I'm not sure the families would have been too happy seeing the start eleven that we saw yesterday. Definitely. I mean, I, I think that the word I used when Lee and I were walking down to the ground and, and the team was announced was uh, it was a bold team selection. And I think from the off, I mean, look, as a, as a fan, there were a few calls in that starting lineup that I wouldn't have made myself I, I think not just in terms of personnel but again we've criticised Rafa haven't we for persisting with a, a two-man midfield um, and you know arguably a two-man midfield of Decore and Gomez you probably need someone else in there with them to get the best out of them um, but on on the other hand you know Alan apparently had COVID. I know there's been other illnesses in throughout the squad. But something had to change, didn't it? You know, something I said to Lee was, well, maybe another way of looking at it is he's trying to shake things up enough to get a response from these players. Because, you know, we've all been unhappy with Rafa's stubbornness, but the players have to take some responsibility as well. And they've been extremely poor. I mean, when we last recorded... And we went through the, the games we've lost. I think we said something like, you know, seven out of the the, the nine most recent losses have been catastrophes. Mm. You know, horrendous performances. You know, the, the likes of Watford, Wolves away. Um, you know, the, the Palace game. Just, you know, really inept and weak. So, in a way, I can sort of understand, you know, Big Dunk bringing in the likes of Holgate, Kenny, and saying, you know, look, Sorry to the lads on the bench, but I want players in the side that are going to bring that Everton DNA. And we know the big dunk values, players that are going to fight, um, that are going to be committed. And I think that's what you get from some of the people that he, he put in the starting eleven. Um, whether they're as, as technically good or reliable as 
you know, some of the players on the bench, I, I think is a valid question for debate, but I can sort of see maybe why he shook things up in the way he did. And, you know, if we would have won the game, I, I, would we, you know, would we be going over the, 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 the team selection in the same way? I don't know. Well, you, you never would do, would you? I think, I think when you when you win a game, you you, you know, if you look at things totally different, and obviously the manager's decisions are, are justified. I think I think one player, obviously Holgate and, and Kenny were, were the two that I thought, hang on, what's going on here? But then you look at the players that were taken out of the fire, and Michael Keane's been criticised week in, week out, especially in, in recent weeks. And Seamus Coleman's also bore, bore the brunt of, of fan unrest, I'd say, at times. You know, people understand the predicament that he's in. You know, he's probably been kept on a little bit longer than, than he should have been as our first choice right back. But then he doesn't bring in the right back that we that we signed from Rangers um, in, in Nathan Patterson. Doesn't he make the squad? Uh, now, again, unsure whether there was illness. Some are saying there wasn't. Some are saying he just wasn't picked. Uh, Mikhailenko was there. He was in the, the travelling party, if you like. He was he stayed in the team hotel before the game. Came to the ground, got off the bus, but was obviously didn't make the uh, didn't make the squad. Um, but then, obviously, one player who was left out, and I certainly, as much as I thought it might have happened if we if we went four three three, because I think that the, the wide players would have been Damari Gray and Richardson. I think that Anthony Gordon, Jake, has got to find himself really unlucky there to miss out because obviously when he came on, he was our best player, made made a real difference. But he's one player lately, isn't he? Who is who is making a difference and is standing out in in relatively poor performances. Yeah, no, I think he is. I think what you said there about that Everton DNA, I think he epitomises that. He's that sort of player that the fans love. The fans love him because he 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 plays for the shirt and he plays for he plays with his heart, doesn't he? I think that's certainly what what I get from him. And we don't actually have a lot of a lot of that in the squad. I don't think. I don't. I don't think there's many team many players in that dressing room that. That would give everything for the for the badge and the team and the and the fans and everybody. I don't I don't think there's many players in there, and I think that is, from my point of view, looking from a distance, that is, that is a, a big problem. Um, I think we've 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 spent far too much money on names and pay, pay players with past reputations and you know people that that potentially might be well. You know we we do. I don't think we we buy players with the intention to the way we want to play, I think we buy players because of their name and then try and fit them into a system, which I think is has been the, the fundamental flaw for, for years now. Um, but certainly on, on Gordon, I think in that in him, we have somebody um, that you can't not necessarily build a team around, but build a philosophy around him, get play, more players in the squad like him, more players that just want to play football, don't care if we play five games back to back will go out there and, and give everything don't win don't chuck yourself about moaning all the time and all this sort of thing but I think what he gives is is 100% every time he goes on the field and I think that's why the fans respond to him so well when you consider how meticulous David Moyes was when he was signing players as well wasn't he I know he had yeah. to be because obviously the funds dictated that but, you know, one of the big things that Moyes, even now at his time at West Ham, still does it, is one of the big things he looks into beyond the football talent is what are they like as lads? Do you know what I mean? What are they like as an individual off the pitch? How do they conduct themselves? You know, like you said, what are the, what's their attitude like in training? 
he was known to be absolutely meticulous for that. And obviously, with the certain managers we've had in the last few years, I can't imagine many of those would be as meticulous as what Moyes was. No, and, and coming coming speaking from being in dressing rooms where you've had players mm. that that do moan and you know might not be happy with the management style or the way the team plays. You know the the saying of one one bad apple can can ruin a, a bag. That is certainly the case in in sport. You know you get one person that that says it to one person and go. You know oh, I'm not sure about this. And then it's in his head and then he goes and tells two people. Oh we're not sure. And then and then all of a sudden it it spreads through the team, and and things and and now certainly at knots that's one of our big things about bringing new players in is um, making sure that if we have problems we air them straight away because as soon as players start going behind backs and talking in privately and that's when you start to get like fractions in the team you know people know these conversations going off but it just brings in that that extra bit of stress and extra bit of um i don't know what the word i'm looking for but is um it, it just is not helpful you you what you want to do is you want to focus on the team you want to focus on your game plan. You don't want to be focusing on whether you think that that player is going to work hard for you or whether that player is going to give his all. That should just be a given. And I think, unfortunately, from from what I can see, you know, I I, I don't think you can pick eleven players and be hundred percent sure that they're all going to give their all and and leave blood, sweat, and tears on the pitch, which is mm. all you ask for as a fan, in my opinion. I think a disappointing thing yesterday as well. I mean, you, you, you're writing what you're saying again about, you know, having this Everton DNA. Well, players, I mean, Big Dunk was was questioning, wasn't he, in the press conference about, you know, players understanding what it means to play play for Everton and whether they did. And he said, well, they, they do now, suggesting that he's, he's, he's pulled a few players aside or even as a group and said, you know, listen, you know, pull your finger out, you're not doing enough. It, this is a massive club. Um, and and a lot of players, I think, maybe have taken for granted where they where they actually are, you know. Um, but the disappointing thing from yesterday for me was that we did probably see more commitments in that in that first half. You, you can argue, you know, we, we we the players certainly put it in. I'm not I'm not disputing that fact, but the quality just just wasn't there yet. You know, yet again, you know, you, you, various moments in the game where you know you see Richards and Decorey going through two on one. The core stumbling all the way through and gives the ball and you know doesn't find Richardson with the pass and you know you could go one one nil up there again you know it's all about quality and, and organisation from set pieces we can see the goal in in stoppage time to one of the smallest players on on the on the pitch in the first half and it had to be Luca Dean who crossed the ball and of course and and Wendy loops header over Jordan Pickford over and just times and and we find ourselves instead of going at a half time with a probably morale boosting nil nil first half not conceding in the game you know Villa were probably the, the, the better side from a, a quality point of view but we were certainly in the game and had players who, who could do damage in the second half we find ourselves 1-0 down in stoppage time we go in a half time yet again behind with another uphill task to try and get back in the game but you, you watch that lead don't you and you think you know we're talking about the basics of the game for me yet again and you know, you said you know it's a flat corner from Luca D, a bit of pace, it's just being flicked on, it could go it goes could go anywhere, couldn't he? He's caught it pretty well. But we just don't seem to learn our lesson, you know, and, and that's a disappointing thing, isn't it? The fact that 
time and time again, we're conceding similar goals or goals from set pieces. Players aren't doing what they what they should be doing. And for me, it shows, I don't know what you think, Lee, but it, it shows me a bit of a weak mentality, if I'm being perfectly honest, because every single time we get a set piece now, those players, I think, freeze. And those those players think, hang on, we could concede here. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think the timing of it, in all fairness, it, 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 that, when it gets to that stage of the game, it's concentration. It? It's just concentration in that stage of the game. We, you know, if you look how it came about, um, I think we were on the attack. We lost the ball. They were breaking at us. Decore unluckily got megged on the halfway line. Gomez found himself wrong side. He had to bring the guy down, got a booking, obviously. Red led to a free kick. That free kick then should have been cleared by Calvert-Lewin and he, he, he misheaded it straight into the danger zone, didn't he? And it was Coutinho that had the sort of a snap header. Possibly was going over, possibly not. We don't know. But Pickford tips it over. Now, in reality there, the clock's now up now. It's now on 47. So you think, right, you know, either he blows now or he lets him have the corner, he lets him have the corner. So you just need someone, you know, ideally Mina, the captain or whoever, or Pickford, just to say, right, lad, switch on here, win the first header, just win the first header, get it clear, it's half time. And if you look at the lads made that little dart last minute, um, and to be honest, I, I, I don't think it was an incredibly good corner. I think he's, if you look at it, he's in semi miss hit it, he's caught the ground a little bit, which has caused it to go flat and short. And he's just reacted to it, Buendia, and just flicked it. And like you said, Mike, it could have gone anywhere. You know, you see plenty of those that you go straight into the keeper's hands or go miles over the bar on top of the net. And it just evaded Pickford to the point where, if you look at it, he actually got the slightest touch, didn't he? And that slightest touch took it over Townsend's head. He probably And Townsend's got his arms going, I don't believe it, I would have headed that. So he probably would have, you know, it was just, that's the little bit of luck you need sometimes in football. And for me, the game, if you look at it on the whole, almost a game of two halves, they threatened a little bit first half more than us. They probably played the better stuff, like you said, Mike. But ultimately, we were pretty resolute. We looked a bit more solid at the back with Mina there. You know, Dunk clearly wasn't pushing, committing too many players forward. We were letting their centre-backs have the ball. You know, he was clearly just dropping off and being tight. And, I, you know, I thought going in at nil here, nil, nil here is a platform. And then I thought to myself, and you know what? It's a tough game, Villa, your first game, isn't it, really? I mean, I'd, you'd much rather, I think I said to you, Mike, earlier in the week, I'd much rather us been playing Brighton or someone, where I think we possibly could have steamrolled Brighton because they're a bit weaker. But, you know, Gerrard's Villa now are a lot a lot tougher team, aren't they? A lot tougher nuts to crack. And I knew, always knew it was going to be a tough game. You know, they, they, they picked up under him. They've clearly, you know, got that real manager's bounce. You know, they, they obviously got, they know they've got a good manager there. They've just signed Coutinho. All their fans were bouncing out the ground singing, singing Coutinho songs. It's almost reminiscent of when we got Ancelotti and we signed Hamez, wasn't it? And into that, and that feel-good factor is back, back running through the club. And you know, when that happens, things tend to go for you. And you know that, that as I said, for that particular goal, it did, it did go for him. But I just wanted to say with Duncan, and, and you know, we all love him. What a guy! You know, you heard the story of of him putting money behind the bar in the local bars around the ground, you know, so everybody had their first round paid for, you know what I mean? I thought that was a classy touch. Sums up the guy, you know, I was surprised they didn't announce him like they did last time when he played Chelsea and, you know, he came out the tunnel at the end and again, classy, it's just Dunkey didn't want to make it about him, did he? He just wanted to come on the pitch. He knew it'd be raucous anyway, and it was. Um, and I just felt, I just felt we had to get that first goal. Me and Pete were talking about that on the way to the ground. If we could get that first goal, 
I just feel that you know we could probably just go on and and, and like we like we did when we played that Chelsea game. Obviously, when when Richarlison scored that header and it just lifted the crowd and it carried the rest of the team. And you know, as we know, the team are really short of confidence at the minute. And and conceding the first goal in any game when you're short of confidence is going to be a, an absolute downer. And then to concede it at that time, um, it just completely you know the dressing room's a completely different place in it. Completely different place. Oh yeah, it's a it's a sucker punch, as I say, going at half time and you know conceding so late. Like you say, it was over the uh, permitted two minutes. Um, so again, argument there for for why why we're we going over over that particular time. Um, but you know the the players come out second half. I thought I thought we were better. I thought we were the better side second half. It definitely showed an improvement. Again, a lot of nanny moments. I thought you know we. Like I said, Anthony Gordon comes on pretty early in the second half and was he was our most creative player throughout the whole ninety minutes. He, the, the stats the stats showed that if he, if he wasn't you know creating a chance, he was he was you know having a shot himself. He was he was trying to make things happen. He was direct. He was going at going at defenders. Um, one player who's coming in for a bit of stick, Pete, is is a is Dominic Albert Lewin, and the 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 best chance of the game really for us comes from an Anthony Gordon. Cross from the right hand side, you know, pretty low. Calvert Lewin, you know, obviously goes in, maybe a bit a bit more reactive than instinctive. You, you could possibly say, gets ahead, has to pull his pull his leg back, and the ball the ball then goes wide. And Dominic Calvert Lewin's been in, as I say, for quite a bit of stick across across social media. A lot of fans with silly suggestions he's not good enough, and you know, there's got to be an understanding here that the you know he's been out for four months. He's rusty as hell. We're throwing him into a side to buoy the confidence, and we're saying to him, "Do us a favour, dig it out of a hole here because we're we're writing this shit here." And he's got that responsibility to go out there and do that. It's not the right the right approach. Is it, Pete? You know, for fans to get on his back just because we're hurting and we're upset with what's happened at the club at this moment in time. This this is why I don't spend any time on social media because it's just full of idiots. <laughs> absolutely well said. Amen, amen to that. Yeah, you know, like you say, Mike, he's he's been out of action for months. He's got no game time whatsoever under his belt. You know, look at him at the start of the season. You know, you you could make an argument to say that you know Rafa was so reliant on him and his goals as part of the the way he set us up. And I think if you look back now, you could you could say Calvert Lewin probably carried us through some of those games with the important goals that he scored. And, you know, on his day, he can be virtually unplayable against centre-halves. When when we do play it long, he's one of the few centre-forwards I think we, we've had at Everton. You know, you might even say since Lukaku. And Lukaku came under so much stick for struggling to hold the ball up and keep it and play it off and play the right pass. And it's something Calvert-Lewin is just so good at. He's so good normally at timing his jumps. And something I noticed throughout the game was he had a he had a miserable time against Mings and concert but he seemed to be jumping quite early and I, I think just this case of you know at, at such a high level at the, in the Premier League that timing and that confidence and that sort of ease that you get when you get into your game that takes game time to come you know he's probably not fully fit yeah you know change the regime change the tactics as well and I think he had a big ask, you know, I think probably the way that we set out tactically, we played very little football through midfield, you know, it was from one end to the other, 
almost as soon as as soon as we had the ball and we were so reliant on him to make it stick and, and hold it up. And I think if he's if he's fitter and he's sharper, he probably gets on the end of that Gordon Cross. And I think he has a, a much better game in general. Um because I think the way we were playing, we were trying to play to his strengths. So yeah, I I don't understand the fan base sometimes. Um absolutely daft. I totally, I totally agree with that point, mate. I really do. Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll definitely vouch for this, Jake, as well. You know, you play obviously, you know, first class cricket and things like that. It does when you come back like that from an injury. Obviously, you're, you're on, on the verge of coming back now yourself. It's going, it's going to take, you know, a good chunk of games to get into your rhythm, doesn't it? It doesn't just come back to you straight away, does it? No, yeah, hundred percent. And you know, that's that's one thing that our bowling coach talks about a lot is that when you're not playing well it's not because you're out of rhythm or think it's because you, people just assume it's because you're not trying or things like that but you know sportsmen go in and out of rhythm you know, your rhythm can go like that and come back like that it can be one thing one thing can just click into gear you know if, if first off he gets on the on the end of a cross or something and get gets a goal then the the game and his confidence completely changes but I think just to, to me, that it just looked like the whole um, squad just doesn't have any confidence in their ability at the minute. That they're, they're not playing those not 50-50 passable passes that can break lines, passes that can cut open defences. Where you might see it, you know, we're just not playing those balls. We seem to just keep going side to side, side to side, playing it comfortable, and then then eventually losing it. But um, I, I I played in uh, the the notch team that at the minute that that I play in is we had a, um, a run of nearly three years without winning a game and wow. it was so it's so hard to explain when you're in a dressing room with a, a, a team and a squad which is so low of confidence it takes something someone something it it takes more than one game to to readdress that it needs what we what we did is we readdress everything like i said uh, earlier in the in the um that we identified the little fractions when things aren't going well people talk people say this people say that get rid of all that um and then it, it like i say it, it can it can change around that first half like I say if that first half we get a goal um and then the, it completely changes not just it could change the season but then, like you say, we, we, we concede that goal late on. We go into uh, half-time and you can guarantee in that dressing room, everyone's going, oh, here we go again. Rather than, like you say, going in at nil-nil and going, actually, we've, had, we've put in a decent performance there. And then, right, let's build on that second half. They've gone in one-nil down. Everyone's going, oh, here we go again. Crowd starts to get a little bit jittery, going, oh, here we go again. And then it's back to square one again. So... You know, it's it's going to take it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of rebuilding to get to where I think we as fans want it to get to. But you know, it it, it it's going to take some some big decisions and um, decisions that potentially might not be favourable. That decisions that are going to take time to to develop. I don't think you can I don't think you can buy what we're after now I think you have to build it and I think that's that's what the, the board needs to look at from my point of view I think our moment as well if you cast your minds back at that game early December was when Gray scored that last minute winner against Arsenal an informed Arsenal at the time as well 
And, you know, that was, you know, a great way to win a game, an absolute worldie to do it. The crowd's gone nuts. And then that was, our for me, the springboard moment to go into Palace full of confidence. And they went, guess what? We go into Palace and we sit off and we allow them to control the game. And then it's just like, you know, you've gone back to the, the classic pragmatism that obviously defined Benitez's reign, all about sitting off, not 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 trying to, you know, take control of the game, not trying to be the one on, ones on the front foot. And then lo and behold, we concede the first goal yet again. And then we're we're chasing games and then we're having to rip everything up and try and try and throw caution to the wind, but you're two 0 down or something like that. So I just think, you know, that that summed his reign up completely for me. But but yeah, I, I I just think yesterday, as I said, that that first goal was vital. And, and in hindsight, if you'd all spoke to most fans, we'd have taken a point. You know, cash your mind back to the to the game. I said to you, Mike, when when Spurs came under Conte to our place, um, you know that was you know a struggling Spurs team. We were the better team that day, and we probably should have got a penalty. You know, we should have got a penalty, in fact, from the foul from the Reese on Richarlison. But Conte celebrated a nil nil there. Because he knew he just needed a platform from which to build on, you know. And then obviously they've gone on, and he's still undefeated in the Premier League under his reign, which tells you everything. And they're still not playing exhilarating footy, but they're they're efficient, and that's what he's got them to be efficient. Uh, you know, he'll probably work on and sign a few players and make them a different team again. But ultimately, that's what he's made them be. And I, I just think, you know, we all said last week, Mike, you, you know, um, Ferguson maybe give it to him till the summer. You know, if you ask most fans now, you can't just base it on one game. You know, the guy can't turn water into wine, can he? You know what I mean? He's working with a team that's that's really struggling, as you said there, Jay, in terms of confidence. But I think the four four two setup, Pete, you've talked about this in the past about four four two and things that you know, it doesn't really have a place so much in the modern game these days as much, does it really? If you look how Villa set up, you know, they set up with three three effectively you know, tough tackling midfielders in McGinn, Douglas Louise, and the, and, the, and the young lad as well. He, he looks like a real talent, um, Ramsey. And and then effectively, their width was the fullbacks. Luca Dean was the highest player at the pitch several times. when He was basically playing left wing. And then they had the two number 10s in Coutinho and Buendia, who were basically sort of inverted, you know, wingers, if you like, Kernan, stepping inside, picking up space in the pocket, the amount of times in that first half where Decore was trying to say to Kenny, which one are you going with? Are you going to Dean or are you going to, you know, and as a result, Dean was, you know, they were targeting Kenny down that side. All their play came down that side. Um, and obviously they, they threatened a few times. And obviously, you know, from the goalkeeping brigade, Mike, that you are, I mean, that save from Pickford was, I mean, I still can't believe he saved it, to be honest. Um, I'm just devastated. It was, uh, well, it was offside for him. Do you know what I mean? He was good, wasn't he? You saw, yeah. you know, when he gets sad, he was absolutely distraught because it won't go down as, as a save at all, really, you know. But listen, Jordan Pickford for me, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but he's he's been he's been terrific, I think, for the last eighteen months, and uh, <clears throat> he's just one player who, you know, I think he probably feels it more than most. You know, he, he's been there with Sunderland. Look what happened to them. Look, look where they still are. You know, and I'm, we've got to be very, very, very careful. You know, defeat again yesterday. Puts us right in the in the mire. We, we we really are in a in a perilous position. But you know that that save. I thought he played well all game. Uh, that was a very very good save, of course. Uh, but but Pickford's been been more more than reliable. Uh, man, yeah, it's sure. 
I'm, I'm sick and tired of discussing defeats, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm sick and tired of not having anything positive to speak about. You know what I was like yesterday when we were speaking after the game. That's probably the, the lowest I've been for, for a good while, even on you know under Benitez and losing. You know, I always go back to that Watford game because it was absolutely horrific. But yesterday, I think when I think when you go into that game, I expected more of a re, of a reaction. I think the fact that one manager's gone, you know, cult heroes now now in place for at least a short shorter term. I probably expected more, to be honest with you. Maybe we, we can't give any more. Maybe we haven't got the quality to give any more. But we've won games this season and, and looked half decent in, in some of those games that we've won. So for me, I think we should have done better yesterday. And that's why I'm 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 so disappointed. Um I said to the fellow next to me, I even said when we got that corner in the 90, 95th, 96th minute, Anthony Gordon went over to take it. And I said, I will guarantee you right now, he will hit the ball out of play and it will come back in. So I will guarantee you, and, and what happened, you could just you could just see, you could get the feeling that when when we were there yesterday, it wasn't going to be our day, and that's why I think it was it was so so much more different than what we saw when when Big Dunk was was there. Obviously for that Chelsea game, United, Arsenal, Leicester in the cup, it feels different, and I think a lot of that's to do with the negativity surrounding the club as a whole. I think that maybe the players are feeling that as well. Um, I'm sure Big Dunk feels it, feels the pressure, of course. Um, and we've got to do something drastic to turn to turn things around. But one thing that I do want to speak about is what's happening at the club at the moment. Obviously, another fan process yesterday. Words were had with with Bill Kenwright outside the ground as well. So we're just going to take a short break and, and speak about that in about thirty seconds. Welcome back to the second part of this week's Unholy Trinity podcast, where, like, like I said before the break, you know, it's negativity is, is surrounding the club at this moment in time, uh, whether it be the on-field performances, the, the lack of a manager, the lack of direction. But a lot of it at this moment in time, since the removal of Rafael Benitez, is centred towards the, the board, the ongoing issues that we've got there. Um, we did get some some kind of um, communication, if you like, from from Farhan on Friday, wasn't it? In the in the, the form of an open letter, it actually arrived in my junk mail, believe it or not, which is quite quite happy. Uh, but we won't, we won't go into that. Um, now that 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 won maybe a little bit of favour on Friday, um, but you know, before kick off yesterday, we knew there was going to be a sit in. Which which has been organised, you know, a, a little while ago, um, and that was always going to happen. You then see pictures emerge of of a, of a certain individual uh, who who appears to be Farhad Mashiri's right hand man in in Kijarabjan. He was there, and I don't think that that went down particularly well. We've said this time and again. We put out on social media a few days ago. He seems to be Everton's director of football. Uh, in all in all but name, which is is alarming to say to say the least. But he was there yesterday, which obviously got people's people's backs up. We also see what happened post match where Bill Kenlight appears from the um, obviously director's box. He's he's gone back inside. He's then come out into the into the streets and and he's there's altercations with a number of Everton fans post match. And it, it all seemed very, very sort of dramatic and theatrical for me, to be perfectly honest. I, I don't buy into the fact that it, it was just just happened to walk out and and then fans happened happened to to sort of see him. I think he knew exactly what he was doing there, to be perfectly honest. 
Um, but there's so much negativity, isn't there, Peter? We, we, the protests, you know, week in, week out, the banners, it's it's hitting it's hitting the mainstream sports media, which which is the idea. Um, and I'm, I totally I back any fan to make any kind of statements and stance. I think what's going on at Everton is absolutely appalling. I think it's upsetting to see where we are. And, you know, we, we, we see it, as I say, we're seeing it more and more. And, you know, take take out of the equation the reasons for it in a way, just talking emotionally. How does it make you feel to, to be seeing this all the time? And, you know, does it does it get you the way that it's, that it's getting to me? It, it, it does because it... It's complicated, isn't it? You, you can really understand why fans are so angry because, you know, look, somebody goes goes to game every week um, and follows every single Everton match. You know, I'd say there's nobody more frustrated than, than I am. You know, I we, we lose. It ruins my week, never mind my weekend. You know, we don't play well. And I'm, I'm picking over misplaced passes and, you know, people that didn't run, run enough, in, you know, for the shirt and... I really get why fans are furious, and I think there's almost an irony with Everton. You know, we we overachieve for years on minimal resources. You know, being shrewd and tough, and you know, having grit, and then we come into a decent amount of money uh, and just completely squander it to to the point where we've made a rod for our own back, and now we we can't spend to fix it. And we've got, you know, a lot of assets, if, if you will, in players that we, we can't get rid of. So I get why the fans are so furious. But I think, like you say, Mike, the, the problem is there's a lot of misplaced anger. And I think when we spoke about this on, on the pod before, something that's come up is we need better communication from the club. Because, you know, to, to defend some of these fans, how do they know who to be angry with? And I, I think this is why it's such a mess. Some people are furious with... Mashiri, some people are furious with Ken Wright. You know, Brands was something of a fall guy, wasn't he? Um, the, the, you know, again, seemed to, seemed to really divide fans. So I get why people are furious, but I, I think all it does is it just heaps more pressure and misery on the players that have got, got to go out and get a result. Well, and it, it's hard to see what the answer is, really. And I think it just, I know we're going to come on to it in a minute, but for me, it just puts so much, it loads so much pressure on this this next appointment. And it, it really raises your anxiety because you look at the shortlist and it's just a shortlist of risks. I, I'm, you know, to be fair to the board, I wouldn't want their job now of picking this next manager because I don't think there's a strong pick. I, I think it's just such a calculated risk and I, I think there's a risk of, of the Everton job becoming a bit of a poison chalice. And we really need to, as a club and as a fan base, find a way of coming together and saying, you know, look, this is the direction we're going to go in. And we're all signed up to it from, you know, the the, the, the chairman, everybody involved in the club at a leadership level to the manager and the players. Because if we don't, we're only going one way. And I, I think we're, again, flirting with relegation. And I think there's only so many times we're going to get away with that before we we really get sucked into it. Um, and then, you know, who knows where that could lead us. So it, it it's so complex. And it, I just, yeah, I don't really know what the solution is, but I'm, I'm starting to become fearful for the future. And I've not felt like that as an Evertonian really now for a long time. 
I think the I think the alarming thing is you and you and you're right in what you said there, Peter. Think in terms of it can get muddled, can't it? Now uh, the, the 27 campaign, 27, 27 year campaign have been have been very very sort of direct in what they what they're asking. You know, mainly centered around communication. I think you know Bill Kenlight, the people want him to be to be removed. To be honest with you, uh, somewhat machine to be removed. But I think the starting point for some is is Ken Knight. A lot of the blame is centered around around him. Feel that he's to blame for the, the club stagnating over the years. But I think your point there about about it getting muddled and you know impacting players. I mean, we saw John Joe Kenny who actually he, he got showered. He came out of the tunnel and he walked over to the fans who were in the Gladys Street after the game yesterday. And somebody had said that he said, you know, you've, you've just got you've got to back the players, and you know they they said in no uncertain terms, listen, this is not not a a process towards the players, this is a process towards the board, towards machinery, you know, the the lack of direction, the stagnation, the lack of communication, all this. I think the concern is, I mean, players for me are probably well, they are responsible for for knowing what's going on and understanding fans. I think personally, if, if I if I worked at the club, if I was a footballer. I'd like to think that I would know how how fans were feeling. I think a lot of a lot of players maybe who uh, you know so, some players probably like to just shut themselves off. So when they when they play, they play on a Saturday or play at the weekend, they go to training, and then they like to then just sort of go into their own bubble with the family, with their friends, and and not even think about it. So maybe that's 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 why maybe some players are thinking, well, I'm going by having a go at us. It's you know we're we're trying our best. The manager's gone. You know, etc., etc. But I think players have got to educate themselves personally um, to know what is happening within within the fan base. That's that's my that's my personal opinion. Um, but I think when when you're seeing characters like this this Kaiser Rapture who's floating around, you know, all the time, he seems to be responsible for certain things that are happening at the club. He's got an awful track record. You know, he's certainly not liked within within the business by those. You know, from the outside looking in, um, he's been invited obviously to the club uh, yesterday, getting wined and dined, and that's not obviously sitting sitting well with certain people. I think that when you start seeing those kind of characters sneaking into the to the running of the club, I think you, you know the alarm bells you know really really do start ringing. And and those who did the sitting yesterday, I've I've got great admiration for it, for anyone who who takes action. You know, it was peaceful. There was no, there was no issues with that. They're just trying to get the message across. Um, as I say, the, the Bill Kenlight situation. Looking at that, it, it it seems a little bit not from the fans' perspective, but from his perspective for me. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as I don't sit here and say I'm as big as critic. I haven't been over the years, but I think it was made very, very theatrical. And we've been here before. We've been in a situation before where this has happened, and he's been approached outside the ground. And I just don't. I just just think it was a little bit maybe orchestrated on on his behalf to to be honest. But when you when you're watching that Jake and, and you see obviously I'm not sure if you've seen what happened with with, with Bill Kenlight, you you see you see the fans' anger. You know you're you're a you're a fan yourself. Are you on board with that? Do, do, do you get it? Do, do you find yourself be feeling really really frustrated and fearful for the future because of what what has gone before and under this this regime's watch? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say because I, I don't know the, the all the ins and outs and I don't think anybody really does. And I think that's one of the main problems, isn't it? Is the fact that I think around the football club, there, there's far too many grey areas of 
you know, so getting people in here, people there. I don't think they have like a a set philosophy, a set thing about what everybody works around. I think, um, like I said earlier, I think fans want to see a club that's that's giving everything, players giving everything. But I think when there's an unsettled um, bits in the board you don't know what's being communicated from the board to the players if you're a player and don't know what's happening in the board that can unsettle you tremendously as a player because that means your future's unsettled as well you know you, you don't know you don't know contract wise you don't know which way the the, the club's gonna go you know um, foreign players saying that this is the way we want to play and this is the way the football want to play but then obviously sack the manager you sack uh, brands goes and then it's it's completely different. So to, to be a player and not know sort of month to month, whatever it is, week to week, the style of football or things that you want to play, I think it, it, it just seems to me a massive, massive, just too far too much grey area. I think it needs stripping down back to the back to the bare bones and say, look, this is Everton Football Club's philosophy. This is how we want to play. This, these are the players that we want to attract to the club who want to play like this. Rather than, I think, like, like I said, when we've got the, the money, we, we're just we're spending not players that we're going to, you know, make the team necessarily play they want to play. We, we bought a player in and then tried to fit a formation around him. We end up with four or five players in a side where you're trying to fit square square pegs into round holes and it just it just to me just just uh it's frustrating and i get i get everyone's frustration around it and i think that's just because you can't see a direction in which the club are going and that for me is the bottom line of it you want to see a, a direction in which everybody's working towards and, and i can't that's the biggest frustration to me it, the one word there, you've just summed it up there. It's a complete mess, isn't it? It's an absolute yeah. mess. It's it's all it's, it's all over the show. You know, even now, you know, my fear was that if, if Ferguson did lose the game and we did, you know, what should have been a draw really, but we obviously we lost it one nil. The fear was the fan, you know, the, sorry, the board are then going to react and make a reactionary appointment rather than doing their due diligence and thinking, look, we've got to find the right guy for the job rather than just suddenly panicking now and throwing someone in there. And, like Pete just said, there the names don't jump off the sheet. You think, yeah, you know, they're all risks. You know, Lampard is a risk. He's a, he's a novice as a manager still. You know, Rooney's you know even more of a novice as a manager. You know, what I mean, obviously Rooney's a, a, you know he's an Evertonian. We all know that. You know, he, he's he, in some quarters. Obviously, he's he's, he's thought of as a, as a. I wouldn't say he's a legend because obviously he's a legend more at United probably than our club. But obviously, if Rooney came, he would he, you know he would get the fans behind him because of who he is. He could potentially attract certain players, but again, you know, the job he's got at Derby, and we said this last week, it carries no pressure for him. You know, he's an absolute winner if they stay up, but if they go down, he's got a, you know, there's a perfectly valid excuse because they're a complete, they're more of a mess than we are in terms of where they are as a club. Do you know what I mean? So he's in a win-win scenario almost, and and I just think you know, if say if, I'm trying to think of names now, if we could attract to the club, who would really think if he came in. He'd completely sort it, and the only names that instantly come to mind are, are people, you know, like a a Conte type, like a Simeone or something like that. Who just think, you know what? If Simeone rocked up and we gave him whatever he wanted at the club, and we backed him, 
you know, the fans would react to someone like that because he he, he wouldn't stand for anything and he's theatrical. You know what I mean? And, he, and he's the sort of guy that would get, you know, fans fans would absolutely adore him because of who he is and how he carries himself. Uh, I'm not saying we can, we can get him, by the way. Obviously, you know, certainly not mid-season. But they're the types of names that would get me off my seat and think, you know what, if he came in, then, you know, he could really fix it. But beyond all that, you've just alluded to it there, we need a director of football that comes above that, who recruits a manager. He should be the one recruiting the manager to play in a certain style that like you've just said there, Jay. And then we recruit players to play in that, in that, in that style of play. And that's how it should be. I mean, you, you say it out loud and you think, well, that's quite simple. How the hell have we managed to cock it up so badly? You know what I mean? And that's why Brands really, you know, he was one of the most vocal in terms of wanting Marco Silva to stay because he knew that Silva was on board with what he wanted to do. He wanted to go out and sign players of a certain age to play in a certain way. And then basically, look, we can, if these players succeed at our club, we succeed, then we sell them on for a profit, we reinvest, and we start the process again. You know what I mean? And, that, and that's, that's, and he knew Silva was on board with that. And then obviously, since then, we've had a plethora of different managers. We want to come in and sign their own players, not to the philosophy of what Brands you know, was trying to achieve. From what we've been told, Brands never wanted Benitez. He hated him, obviously. Brands never wanted Carlo, although clearly there was a bit of a relationship there because Carlo gets on with everyone because he's a great guy. And then you, you know, and then on the back of all that, Mashiri's going, oh, I'll, I'll, I've got my best mate here. I'll pay twenty-eight million for Wobi, even though he doesn't run it by anyone. Just go and signs him. Do you know what I mean? And, so it's just a complete, absolute show, really, when you think about it. And I just think, you know, and on top of all that, we've now brought in the worst possible manager who's a hero across the park, who had us playing, you know, football that's 20 years out of date. And then on top of all that, he's got rid of our most creative players. If you look at the stats, Mike, you and I were talking about this, you know, our, our three most creative players last season by a distance were Luca Dean, Hamas Rodriguez and 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 and, and Gilfie Sigurdsson. Now, obviously for different reasons, some of them have left, but two of them are on the manager. You know what I mean? Two of them are on our ex-manager. And as a result now, we end up with a game yesterday where we have 15 shots in the second half, one on target, because we've got no creativity in that team whatsoever. We're devoid of creativity. And that's the, that's the mess we've been left in. So you look at us on paper and think, oh, we're too good to go down there. Look at that team and go, we're not too good to go down, are we? We're far from it because how many of those players in that team now are going to scrap between now and the end of the season? Are going to really dig themselves in and go, we're going to have to fight to get probably five or six wins to stay up. I, I can't see there's many in that team that'll do that. Yeah, character. Character is a, is a big, is a big, big thing for me. And I was, I was out before. Um, I was thinking to myself, you know, thinking back on, on previous times and we've been close to the drop look at the at the players in those in those sides and you know some some of those players had character you know you could you could rely on them you know well no we obviously we weren't in in the in the bottom pass or the bottom few places in the table by coincidence but play, some of those players you think yeah they, they, they've got the half of, for the battle look at that side that we've got now and i think to myself who would i want to pull me out of the shit there who who do I think could really really, you know, would wear the heart on the sleeve, would give everything that they possibly could, and they can pull us out of it. And there's not many. And whether that's just modern football, that's a makeup of a modern footballer, I don't know. 
but there's not many players there that you think, you know what, they would graft. They would graft for you. Richarlison, yes. Anthony Coleman. Gordon, yes. Coleman, of course. If, if Alan, if he's Alan Wood. And, and Jordan Pickford, probably. Yeah. You know, but you struggle. You struggle then, don't you, to sort of think, well, who else would really put it on the line for this football club? And that's that's the concern. Throw into the mix as well. Talking about obviously this campaign which which is going on and, and the fans protest. We've got we're going into the the last week of the transfer window. We were sitting on 19 points in 16 place in the table. We've got no manager, we've got no director of football, and we've got no head of recruitment at this moment in time. That's where we are. Now, that for me, I know obviously there's been changes recently. But that's unforgivable. That is unforgivable to be in that position when we're in, in the trouble that we're in. To not at least have, like you said, Lee, director of football in place, so you can you can then you can start to build a philosophy. You can start to build that 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 backroom backbone, if you like. So whoever comes in as manager over the next sort of five years, whatever it might be, it won't matter because as a club, we've got a direction and we've got a philosophy. That's where we where we should be. That has got to be addressed first. It won't be addressed first. They will bring a manager in next week, no doubt, to, to try and get one or two signings over the line and to, to work with the side for, for a week before the Brentford game. And that's where we are. And there's no wonder why there's so much fan unrest and there's, you know, fans are fearful for our future because we're, we're lacking three major off-field positions here. And we're in, in the fight of our lives at this moment in time. Make no mistake, this football club can go down. If we go down, we'll be the next Leeds United or Sheffield Wednesday or those kind of sides. Because those at the top, Farhad Mashiri is letting these leeches around him stick their oar in, try and get the, the claws into the football club. They don't care what happens to every football club. They care about making money. It is that simple. And until until he cuts ties with those kinds of people, we are, we are never, ever going to move forward. We're never, ever... We're never ever going to learn our lessons, and that's that's where we are. As we're speaking now, and we're going to come on to the management, uh, the, the new manager after after the next uh, the next break. As we're speaking now, Vita, uh, Vita Pereira has come in to three to one, and apparently he's been spoken to and potentially interviewed to be our next manager. Who's he got ties to? Who has he got ties to? Key direction. So yet again, this man. And I've mentioned them, I can't even say his name properly, but I've mentioned them multiple times today because it drives me nuts that he seems to be leading the way and or leading the lack of direction this football club is going in on a daily basis. And that, for me, is frightening stuff. Um, isn't, isn't, so isn't, Cannavaro, the, isn't Cannavaro on his books as well? He's got ties. He's got links to him, yeah. He's got links to him. Yeah. Now, whether it's just all... It's just all, you know, stories being made up for, for betting purposes. But for me, there's no smoke without fire. And we're, we're mentioning names and managers who are linked to this particular individual. You know, it's hard enough as it is at this moment in time, looking for a manager that, that we think can actually save this football club in, in the current season. And like Peter said earlier on, the list that we're looking at doesn't inspire you with a great deal of confidence to think, oh yeah, I fancy him to come in and say, to pull this side out of it. Because, you know, the, the, the favourites for the job just don't, for me, inspire that kind of confidence. And we're not going to go out there and get a Simeone. We're not going to go out there, obviously, Conte's gone to Spurs. We're not going to attract that kind of manager anyway. Um, 
So we've put ourselves in this position through the faults of mistakes that have been made over the last five, six years, in my opinion. We were headed in this direction because of mistakes that have been made. Um, you know what, the more, the more I think about it, the more and more. And Jake, the last time you were on, we had Carlo Ancelotti as our manager. Um, he got 60 points out of this this team, didn't he? OK, it was albeit it was, a, it was a random season with no fans. And we obviously, you know, we stuttered a bit towards the end. But oh, give or take, it's pretty much the same squad, give or take, apart from obviously a couple of those uh, creatives I mentioned. And, you know, him walking away was just a massive blow. I think not just for us as fans, because you could see the journey was going on, the, the noises he was making in terms of, I want to be here when we go to the new stadium. This is the bookend of my career from when I started with Milan. You know, he's making all these noises, you know, and, and making the right noises. And us as, as fans were getting, fall, you know, almost falling for the, the romantic side of it, if you like. And then, you know, for him to go and go to Madrid, you start to think, obviously, A, it was Madrid that came for him, so he was always going to go. But then you start to think, well, maybe he knew what was going on in the background now. That, that's all coming to the fore, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I think... I said it, didn't I, on in the week with Carlo Ancelotti? He'd obviously he'd spoken to, to Duncan Ferguson this week and passed on his best wishes, which I think is the, the mark of the man. You know, it's, it's, it's who he is. You know, he, was, he, was, he was big fans of, of Duncan Ferguson and by all accounts wanted to take him to Real Madrid with him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Carlo Ancelotti, at the time, we were massively upset and hurt when he went because we thought, we thought, you know, we've, we've got someone who, who gets the club, who's, who's a world-class manager. Um, he walked away, and, and I think now we, we, we know the reasons why. You know, he knew what was going on, money-wise, probably especially, um, and, and at boardroom level, didn't like it. And, and when he, he got the opportunity to speak to Real Madrid, he, he went. And you can blame him, to be perfectly honest. Um, think about it as well, though, from, from a... I'd be interested to get your view on it as well, Jake, from your background as well. But think about it from, you know, how he did it. How, how much that have affected the players as well. Because by all accounts, he was well-loved by the players, wasn't he? And for him to do it like he did in a, in a split second right at the end of the season, you know, how much... How much it, it, that must massively affect the dressing room as well, mustn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think probably more than, more than you'd probably understand. I think having yeah. a lot of those players would have looked up to him and seen, obviously, he would have not just promised the journey to us as fans, he would have promised the journey to the players as well. You know the players buy into that. The players buy into his philosophy, and you could, you could, like you said, you could see them working towards something. Then, as soon as that goes and gets taken away, you know, you feel like all the work you've done with that manager working towards something has gone. And then, obviously, then the guy next guy comes in. It's like they take a completely different view, and it might not suit the way you play. It might not be exactly what what you want, and it, it just it's a massive disruption like you guys have alluded to this next appointment is such a big one because it needs to be somebody that they know is going to be and has the aspirations to take the club forward over a number of years over over five six seven eight ten years whatever it is the next person that comes in needs to have that um and i'm, I'm going to just jump back a little bit to what you said about character um and We've got well, our coach, uh, a good friend of the head scout of um, Sir Alex Ferguson's, and his philosophy is from 
the very bottom of the club, the under eights, under nines, whatever it is, through to the top, was that I want them to work hard. I want them to, if they get kicked, get back up and keep going. I don't want, I want players that will run through a brick wall for me. And that was the philosophy of the club from the, the bottom. He says, he says, I don't want the player that's going to do all the step overs, the quickest players. I want the players that when they get kicked, when they get an elbow to the face, they get straight back up and they get on with it. And that was, that was his philosophy. And you could see through his time at, at, at Man United how that transitioned in. And it, it came. It came to a head. Um, it tells a good. It tells a good story. The, the scout does about when Nanny came. Nanny. One of Nanny's first games at United was away at Stoke, and I think within the first five minutes, he took a big tackle, kicked him, kicked him to the ground, and he went missing. And apparently, Sir Alex Ferguson got him in the dressing room and says, "If you ever go missing, once you get kicked again, you'll never play for this football club again." And and that was and then obviously from then on he went, went and, and but it needs it needs a person like that to to build a philosophy and build a team and say this is what we want to to take the the club forward for for many years to come. Yeah, real strong character needed. I mean, they're, they're such opposing figures, aren't they, Ancelotti and, and Benitez? You know, you go from Carlo, who's real yes. arm around the shoulder, building players up, confidence, you know, attacking football. You know, we, we can do this. Ronaldo described Ancelotti like uh, similar to, to, to Sir Alex Ferguson, didn't he? Like a father figure. And then you get Rafa in, who's quite, you know, stereotypically cold, shut off, distant relationship from the players, tactically very negative and cautious. And you think, what must it be like to go from a dressing room where you're encouraged to go out and attack, believe in yourself, express yourself? you know to a manager who's almost I think telling the players to play within themselves and for me it was only a matter of time before that the wheels the wheels fell off and this unfolded because it was quite clear the players weren't getting behind that philosophy and vision and like Lee said before you have results like the Arsenal game or you know the the, the away draw at Chelsea and then a following game like Brighton or Palace where he, he persists with the same philosophy and you just think no no, you you know, for someone that's supposed to get get the club, you don't you don't get it. And absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. The the, the warning signs were there for me after the Burnley game at home. Um, I think the the interview that uh, Andros Townsend did after the game, he scored two unbelievable goals. Um, and they asked him, oh, I think they asked him, what what did Rafa? Because Rafa went up to talk to him after the end of the uh, on the pitch, uh, and they asked him what he said, and he says. Oh, he told me that I did something wrong. Now imagine being a player, you've mm. just two unbelievable goals, you've won your side the game, and then you you know, if you think yourself as a balloon, you, you you're blown up and then he comes and tells you, Oh, you, you were too slow getting back at one point. That's just pinned to the balloon, isn't it? You're just deflated. I think he was just that character that was so negative, deflating. I I just couldn't work under a manager like that where where a player did something so good, wouldn't you side the game and then just tell him no you did something wrong rather than saying mate that was unbelievable. I think that I think that was they were the warning signs for me there. Yeah, I mean as a player, if you've had a great game, you know you've had a good game, but it also makes you feel ten feet tall if your manager tells you've oh. had a great game as well. And it, it goes back to when you're a 100%. kid, you, you know, and your dad's watching you on the touchline. You want to impress your dad. We all want to impress our dad. You know, whether you're playing footy, cricket, in your case, whatever. You know what I mean? And your dad come, you come off the pitch, and your dad tells you you were amazing. I mean, how good do you feel? 
you know, you, you probably yeah. ride on that wave for the next three or four days, don't you? And that's the same as you know, as you get older as an adult, it's the same thing. And Benitez was famous for that. You know, Carragher and Gerard all talk about that. You know, they, where they've had amazing games, and he was famously cold and never told them they had a great game. And 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 you know, if you're winning games and you're winning trophies in his case at that time at Liverpool, you can almost get away. If you're not winning stuff, that's why he got dismissed quickly at uh, Real Madrid. That's why he got dismissed, you know, in, in, at Inter Milan. That's why he's now been dismissed in six months at Everton. You know what I mean? He, he's famously known for being a really cold manager and, and not being the best man manager out there. And, and, you know, and if you start losing games and he's like that, it's only a matter of time. And he should have gone weeks ago for me. He should have gone weeks ago. And as I said before, if Duncan could have been in charge at, say, Brighton at home or something like that, where it's a more winnable game, I think we could have steamrolled Brighton, um, you know, with the greatest respect and they play nice football. But I think we could have bullied them. Villa stood up to it yesterday because obviously Gerard's that type of manager. You know, you only saw after two minutes, you saw McGinn go straight through someone, didn't he? You know what I mean? And they were that. That's them saying we're gonna we're gonna fight you today, even if you try and steam steamrollers. Yeah, yeah, most most definitely, most definitely. Um, but you know, we are where we are at this moment in time. Like you said, you know, Benitez is gone. Ferguson's an Instagram charge. We're, we're hearing new managers' names every day again, still. Uh, when, when I thought he'd whittled it down, but we're going to have a, have a quick chat after this after this break about where he currently sits with the uh, the management situation um, and what we think is going to happen over the next week or so. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Unholy Trinity podcast, where it's manager talk again. Uh, we're still without a, a permanent manager. Um, like I said in the in the last part of the show, uh, Vitor Pereira has come come right in. So it's a seven to two joint favourites as we as we speak. Um, I'm, I don't really want to waste any time on him because every single time we we are in the market for a new manager, he seems to appear, doesn't he? So he's been mentioned over the last, I think, probably three or four years, and he was he was on the short list. Fingers crossed, it's you know it, it's not the case. Um, the the two that we that we seem to keep on going back to, and we're hearing a lot more about, um, seem to be Frank Lampard and Wayne Rooney. They're the two that appear to be leading the way. Rooney's a little has drifted a little bit to to five to one. Lampard is is seven to two joint favourites. Um, like we like I've said, you know, doesn't really inspire me a great deal. Peter, you said earlier on both both are risks. You know, I think I think the whole the whole list is a risk. To be perfectly honest, you know, from Cannavaro who appeared in the weekend, like we just said, Pereira's appeared, Lampard. Who you know we didn't do particularly fantastic at Chelsea. You you, you could argue struggled as, as Lee's mentioned in, in on previous shows, speaking to those senior players and telling senior players that he played with that they weren't playing. You know we didn't mind you with it with a backbone, that's for sure. But look, looking at those those two names, please. Who who are you? Who are you fancying there out of Lampard and Mooney? <laughs> I mean, it feels to me a bit like the the, the devil in the deep blue sea. It. It's it's bizarre. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. You know, if, if you would have said to me 18 months ago, you know, come come January, you, you're going to be debating whether you want Rooney or Lampard as the next Everton manager, I'd I'd be asking what you've been sniffing. I I just I, I cannot believe it. I mean, they both just feel like such dangerous risks. I mean, Rooney on the one hand is the argument that he would understand the club, he'd be able to relate quickly to the fan base. But he was playing with half of those players three years ago. He was, 
and it makes you think, is he going to get the same level of gravitas, respect? You know, look, I know we're not this that kind of podcast, but I do think it's relevant if, if he's going to come in and be the manager. You, you have to look at how he's conducted himself professionally. You know, some of the he's, he's always in the bloody papers. Do we want that as our manager? I I don't think so personally. If, if you think about what you want from an Everton manager, I think that's a major risk. You know, his personal life is is in the rags every five minutes, and I just don't think that would be good for the club. I, th- I think he's done an unbelievable job at Derby. Unbelievable. They, they would be just off the playoffs, even um, after getting beat at the weekend, if you take away the points deduction. And considering they struggled to put a squad together, I mean, that you know, it's amazing. But it's a world away from the Everton job. It, it, it It's miles away. Um, so my, my heart maybe says <laughs> out the two Rooney, but... I can't believe I'm saying it, but I think my head would probably go more toward Lampard. Um, I think he did a really, really good job at Derby. I thought he got them playing brilliant football. Um, I thought he was unlucky at Chelsea for, for various different reasons. I think he had to come in and handle a, a really, really difficult dressing room, as, you know, similar to what Rooney would be with, with us. He, he came into his boyhood club really after not being that that far apart from it as a player and having to manage players who are actually in the same squad as him at some point. But I thought he got them playing very, very good football. Uh, I thought he had a great philosophy. And I thought he got some good scalps. You know, he, he got to a cup final, didn't he? I know they lost to Arsenal. He got the better of Mourinho twice, um, you know, which is, is no mean feat. And I think he would get us playing good football. I think that the the problem is the position we're in in the table. I think that's why it's a major risk. I think if we were lying, you know, sixth and he came in, I, I might fancy our chances and I, I, I'd be quite looking forward to what kind of football we play. But 16th in the table, it just, it feels like it's either going to be a fairy tale or a nightmare. I, It's just... Um, it's just bizarre. I, I just don't know what to say. The, the, the Lampard, the Lampard on is is really difficult for me because I think in that first season, Chelsea, mind you, he got almost a free ride because of the transfer ban. That he was never going to lose out, was he? It was always a case of well, he couldn't bring anyone in. So if he gets, you know, European football, what you you know, cup final or whatever, he's done well there. So I think he. He was probably operating in, in a lot more of a relaxed environment with with less expectation, if if you can say that as being being Chelsea manager, like you say, P coming into Everton in in sixteenth position with all the boardroom unrest as well. You know the the fans are certainly restless. The players are, are devoid of confidence. Can you really can you really sort that side out and you know get us get us playing after some football? But more importantly, never mind the brand of football. Let's let's win some games of football. That'll be a bloody start. Even if we win win one, goes off someone's backside and goes in, and we win one nil. We'll take whatever we can. We we need points, and it's 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 as simple as that. Um, the way Rooney was that points piece about the the media never even really give it a second thought. But that that's another real real valid point, isn't it? You know, he's even up until a few months ago, he's still he's still an an, an A list football. Related individual as New Wayne Nooney. He was, you know, probably the best player of his generation. You know, certainly the most talented. You know, I've never seen a, a 16, 17 year old player like him in my life. I thought he was unbelievable. You know, 
And even now, his name alone is massive in this country, massive in, in the world of football. You know, like you say, personal life gets played out in the media. Do we want that? You know, I know, I know obviously a lot of Premier League footballers and, and Premier League managers that are so well known that these things happen and he will be reported on. But I think with Wayne Nooney, they go looking for it with him as well. And I think he's quite obliging to give them headlines, even being perfectly honest. So that's such a such a um an important thing to think about whether that's gonna be a positive thing for the club as well. I just don't know. I just don't know what direction they're gonna take. The board, I'm gonna clear what direction they're gonna take unless they get told by by machinery's mate, by by all accounts. But Jake, what 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 are your thoughts on these two these two names? These seem to be the ones who who were fancied. Lampard apparently has been interviewed already and is due to be back in next week for his second interview. Wayne Nooney is due in for his first interview next week. I don't know why they have so many bloody interviews. Just, you know, just get in there and there. Get your PowerPoint presentation on the go and off, off we go. But what are your thoughts on those two names? Um, well, whenever I speak to any other Everton fans, listen to you guys here, we all sound like girls that keep getting cheated on. We don't want to commit to anybody else, do we? It's a bit like I'm not quite... <laughs> I'm not quite sure. We're looking into these minute details about them and, you know, would this work, would that work? But in hindsight, can it get much worse? I know obviously relegations there, but like, I think looking at both of them, they've both got unbelievable sport, uh, football brains. I think that the, the, looking at the careers they had, they're both obviously very early on in their managerial careers. We don't know what we're going to really get from them um in terms of coming into a high pressure job i think you probably get it a bit more from from um rooney than lampard but i think we just need to whoever comes in trust them back them and hope that you know both of them both of them will have good contacts as well to get players in and i think rooney obviously more than lampard understands what we as fans want and what we as fans want to see and the style of football that we want to see. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think as I alluded to earlier, I think whoever we get in, it has to be done with a, um, a philosophy and understanding that they want the job for a long time. We're not just a stepping stone for them to go on to a bigger job or anything like that. I think whoever comes in, it needs to be right we're setting big foundations there. We're moving to a new stadium. You know, we're, we're a big club. We're a very big club and we can do things. We need people to come in who, who understand that and want to build and want to build a team that in six, seven years, eight years time, whatever it is, is in the Champions League, is challenging at the top of the table. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that, that, that direction is the key, isn't it? You know, we, we've got to have the direction. We've said about it already in the previous part of the show that we've we don't know what direction we're on. We're, we're not hearing enough from the from the board from from Farhad Mashiri as to what direction is going to be set. I think that hinges on director of football coming in, hinges on the manager buying into that. Um, ideally, we want to bring a manager in who you know is forward thinking. We'll be given the time. But like you say, it's such a high-pressure situation that we find ourselves in. If we're sitting sort of mid-table, you know, eighth, ninth, whatever it might be, 
then that same pressure is not there and they've, they'll be given that time to build. I think we're, we're in such a precarious position that we, we're still, whoever comes in, we're still running the risk of it all goes wrong. We find ourselves getting relegated and they're removed from their job in the summer as well, you know, because that, that that's where we find ourselves. So setting a direction is really, really important. I think the difficult part is at the moment in terms of long-term direction is where we are in the league. And that's that's that, that's what really really frightens me, you know. Um, but Lee, what 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 were you, what were you going to say then about um, Lampard and Nuni? No, I think you both. I think you've all sort of summed up really well. I think you know um, both of them are risks because of where they are in their managerial careers. I think Lampard's obviously had a bit more experience. Yeah, like Pete said, he did a half decent job at Derby. I read an article the other day actually um, about his time at Derby and. Um, he um, he overperformed massively according to according to the stats. Now, if we had Piv on here, he'd, he'd be talking about this uh, in, a, in a much bigger way than me. But they massively overperformed in terms of their xG, in terms of goals scored, and then also in terms of their goal expected goals conceded as well. Now, as Piv would say, normally over a season that balances itself out. Eventually, you might have a spurt where you're scoring more than you should be. And then obviously, eventually, it levels itself out over the season. But if you look at, if you look, if you do a deep dive into it, they massively exceeded in all areas. Uh, you know, if he was to manage them again for another season, they'd probably level off and you know maybe finish a little bit worse off. But ultimately, did an okay job. Didn't quite get the promotion. I felt Chelsea used him, if I'm honest, used him as a player because they obviously were in that situation where they couldn't spend because of the transfer ban. And, you know, they knew they could ask Frank and he would never say no. I think he alluded that to himself when he'd been interviewed since that, you know, they asked me and I was never going to say no, um, you know, because of what, what he thinks about the club and the career he had there. And, you know, like you said, Mike, first season he did all right. Um, you know, he, he got he got a tune out of them and then obviously the wheels came off and they clearly had a, a fantastic squad because, you know, you have to see what Tuchel did with them in that, you know, very short space of time, including winning the Champions League. So, um, there was obviously flaws in his management there, and hence the reason why they ended up getting rid of him. But um, if you were to ask me over the two, there's pros and cons for both. But, I, you know, if it comes down to those two, um, I'd probably sway a little bit towards towards Lampard, if I'm, if I'm honest, um, purely because of that little bit more of experience. And, you know, he, he, he has got that bit of an aura about him. Um, maybe not to the same level as a Gerard, maybe. Um, and then that Gerard's got that sort of arrogance. I don't think Lampard has quite that same that. But I think if Frank could get to grips with the team, I think the players would respect him straight away. And I think if he could get us playing, you know, and recruit players to play a certain way, I think he could get a tune. But you know, right now we just need to find results, don't we? So, you know, by hook or by crook, we need to find results, whether it's one nils and we're hard to beat or whatever. We need to just get a few results over the line. When I think of the games we've got upcoming, you know, we've got Newcastle away, we've got Watford away. You know, they're going to be they're going to be really tough games, aren't they? Burnley away. You know, I mean, they're going to be games where we're going to have to roll your sleeves up and 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 and, and fight for the right to get a result before you even start playing footy. And you know, and that just worries me a little bit. Those games are going to be tough. Those games are going to be really tough. We're going to have to stand up and be counted in those games. And you know, as I said before, we'd much rather do it and get a director of football and then go down that route and 
that's what we were talking about last week, maybe giving it dunk until the end of the season. But I think, you know, he's pretty much ruled himself out of that, uh, which I respect his honesty in all fairness. I think he knows himself he needs to get some, you know, some more experience under his belt. So out of the two, um, I would, I would, I would, I would probably sway towards Lampard a little bit, and um, yeah, I think that would be my opinion. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult question to to actually actually ask really, isn't it? And actually come to a conclusion on because I just don't know. Personally, just don't know who we're going to bring in. As I say, there are two get mentioned. Um, the the actual amount of of people to actually pick from. There's not many, is there? You know, halfway through a season, you know, we've we've let our minds go. The big names and the names that you you maybe want to sign, it's like just aren't just aren't there. The, the, the funny thing is, Lee, we we had spoken hadn't we about about Mikel Arteta, and mm. we go back in time to to when when Carlo was brought in, Arsenal brought in Arteta, we brought in Carlo. The Arsenal fans were fuming. The Arteta's been given a lot of stick over. The last few years, hasn't he? Since he since he came in, he's done, I think, a, a reasonable job. He's he settled them down. They found an identity now. Would you put me on the spot a little bit? Would you now, if he was available, would you go for Mikel Arteta? If Arteta was available right now on that shortlist, if he was on, you know, Gary Neville summed up his time brilliantly at Arsenal a few about a month ago when he were playing us at Goodison, and he said, Mikel, the thing is, Mikel, I, he thinks he, he personally said, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a strong character. He's worked under the best in Guardiola. At that time when we were playing them at Goodison, he said, the problem is with Arteta at Arsenal is that they lose two games and the, man, the, the players are all, you know, the players, sorry, the fans are all over him saying they want him, want him sacked. Then they'll win a few games and all of a sudden he's like, oh, he's a great coach and he's playing young players. So he's never been in the middle. He's either one extreme or the other. They lost to us at Goodison, you know, when they were in reasonable form. And then again, Arsenal fans, you know, TV outside the ground screaming, saying he's useless, he's this, he's that. And then they went and win five games on the bounce after that. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, he's doing a great job. He's doing a great job, Mikel. And he's, he's weeded out some of the, you know, the bad eggs in the thing, like, like Aubameyang and things like that. And he's, he's brought Saka through and he's brought Smith-Rowe through and they're playing a certain brand of football. You know, he's got a very young team and they've signed, you know, I'd say they've signed Ben White. He could potentially be a top centre-half and, They've signed a young keeper who's good with his feet. and So, you know, if you were to ask even you, Jake, and you, Pete, as well, if Arteta was on that shortlist now, you know, you'd take him, wouldn't you? I'd, I, you know, he'd probably be your first choice. I, the thing is, at Arsenal, he's had money and he's had time. Yeah, but he's and also been on the verge of the sack every other week, hasn't he, as well? He, he has, and he's, but, but they've also got a better team. And, and I think at Everton, well, he, he wouldn't have those three things. I certainly don't don't think he would would get time or grace. I don't think he'd have a very good squad to work with. We, you know, we've said repeatedly, haven't we? Look at the problems we've got with our team and how disjointed it is, and um, you know, the, the makeup of the players. And he wouldn't get money to spend. So not only do I think he he wouldn't want to come to us, but I, I don't necessarily think it, it would work out. Yeah, it was it was more a point of what I was trying to say to Mike was. Was when we got Carlo, you've got the opportunity to sign, you know, to have one of the best managers of his generation. Of course, we were all ecstatic with getting him. But looking back in hindsight now, we've had Carlo's gone, we've had Benitez in, Ferguson's in, and now he's going to be another manager. And then the same time, Arsenal have still got one manager. 
Do you know what I mean? And they're, and they're sticking by, like Jake was saying before, they're sticking by a philosophy. They're trying to think, well, this guy's going to be here for three, four, five years, hopefully. And they've stuck by him. You know, they've had some tough times where he has been really close to getting sacked. Then he's turned it round. So, you know, looking back at it now, obviously we went for Carlo. Would the wiser option have been thinking more long-term at the time? Would the wiser option have been, rather than going for the big name, would it have been better going for Mikel as a young up-and-coming coach who also, let's be fair, is is known more for his time at Everton than he was as a player at Arsenal? We did that with Marco Silva, didn't we? And look look what happened to Marco Silva and look at the job he's doing now. He, He got very unlucky. Led to him losing his job. I think if he if he would have had slightly better fortunes, I think Marco Silva would still be our manager. For for me, I know we spoke on the podcast last week about what's the best football we've we've played since the Moise era. For me, it's Marco Silva. I, I think he's an outstanding coach, and I, I think he'll be back in a Premier League job before we know it. And I think even if he brings Fulham up, I think another club will come in for him. I think that's a good point, but I think the diff, the big difference between them two is that Mikel. I think he's got a, he's got a an affiliation with the club. B, I think he's got a really I think he's a really strong character, Mikel. I think he's a re- I think that was Silver's downfall in the end. I think he was, you know, the fans just didn't take to him, and I think he struggled with it. You could see him physically struggle with it. You could see it in his face. I think for Mikel, I think he's 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 a I don't take any shit. You know what I mean? I don't care who you are type character, and I think maybe that would have. Seen him through. I mean, look, it's all it's all hypothetics at the end of the day. But I just think, in hindsight, would we have been wiser going for someone like that then, when they were available, rather than going for the glamour? I don't I, know. I, I'm going to say no because I, I I don't think Everton have got the infrastructure that Arteta needs. I don't think it would have worked out. Interesting, Jay. What do you think? Um, I like I liked what he's done at Arsenal. He's, he's sort of gone down the, the route of not getting a lot of players in, but identifying areas in which they were weak and, you know, he's he's, he's brought in good players, like you say, and he's brought in players that are going to build with the side. He's brought in good young players and I think, um, again, I, I said earlier on in the, in the podcast, I think we we don't buy good young players, we buy players with an old reputation and that's that's been our downfall for, for a long time now. Um, but I think his his philosophy and his the way he wants to run a club is exactly what we need. So in in, in terms of that, I think that is exactly what 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 we're after. Yeah, Mike, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think so. As you say, it's it's one of those questions that it's so so hard to answer because at the time when he came in, we were delighted with him with bringing Carlo in. Um, it was the, the name manager that, that we'd wanted. Um, and we thought we got the better end of the deal. I think I think the point really is that what we want to be doing, and we've all mentioned it today on the show, is we want to have that direction. We want to bring in a younger, younger coach, younger manager, whether it's Lampard or Rooney, and it works. Who knows? But we don't want to be in a position where we can bring in that kind of, kind of manager and allow them to build a side over three, four, five years. That is the aim. That's what we should be doing. That's the direction that we should be taking. And, and Arteta, I think, has done a decent job at Arsenal in, in difficult circumstances, like you say, because he's always, you know, a, a, a defeat away from fan unrest and fans wanting him removed from his job, which is crazy. But that's the world that we live in. Social media heightens these things. I said this to you the day where, you know, just because someone's kicking off on social media and it magnifies things doesn't mean that 95% of the fans feel the same. 
you see what I mean? So that's also a difficult position that we find ourselves in. But I think he's done a really good job. I don't just like Mikel, Mikel Arteta. He's learned from the best in, in Pep Guardiola. Um, and sometimes I watch Arsenal and, and look at some of those players that have been brought through, um, some of the transfers that they brought in as well. And, you know, they, they, they really at times are an impressive side. I think Arsenal need to get over that, that mental hurdle now of becoming, I know they've, I know they've, they've won the FA Cup historically a lot in recent times, but to get back up challenging for those top four positions and, and getting back to where they were under Arsene Wenger, that's the Arsenal Arsenal's challenge. But I think Arteta's done really well. Um, and character-wise, we talk about character, I think he's got the character to operate at the majority of clubs. At, I'd probably say at all clubs in the Premier League. You say it doesn't take any kind of shit. Um, with us, if he was available, obviously he's not. It's hypothetical. But if he was available, he's the kind of character that I would bring in to to hopefully save save us this season. Um, so and, and, and let, let let's finish on. Let's he won the FA Cup as well. Correct. He's won a tro- he's won a trophy with him as well, hasn't he? In a short yeah. space of time. Exactly, exactly. So in, interesting to, to to discuss that because. You know, it, it was, a, you know, was Carlo a sliding doors moment, maybe, for that kind of situation? You know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and could you, would you, or could you change things? And it's it's one of those, isn't it? It's it's important thing to, to look at that, but not not but praise for Arteta from me. Um, I think he's, he's done, a, done a brilliant job, and, and I hope whoever we bring in, if it's someone who is a young, younger, you know, Lampard, Rooney, whoever it might be, hopefully they... they they can do a decent job, keep us up this season, and then be allowed that time to actually build as we as we move forward to to uh, to Bramley Moor in a in two and a half years' time. Um, but that's us for this week. A long show, but it like at the moment we say it every single week it's a soap opera at Everton. There's never any shortage of, of news and, and discussion points. Um, so Jake, really appreciate you, you losing your your Sunday evening to to discuss. <laughs> uh, no problem at all. You know, <laughs> In our lengthy therapy session. Nah, I enjoy it as always, mate. And, uh, At the and, minute, but I enjoy speaking to you, lads. <laughs> and speedy recovery from the injury. Look forward to seeing you back, back on the field at the at the start of the uh, the season. Hopefully, um, coming up. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Yeah, mate. And, thanks for coming on, pal. Thanks. No worries, man. And that's us for this week. We are. We are done. No game for the Blues next week. Thank God you might all might all be saying a little week off. Hopefully we, we get some news on the manager front as this week goes on. Hopefully we can we can get another player or two through the door before the transfer window closes. Hopefully, as I say, if, if, if news happens, we'll be back uh, at some point next weekend. Fingers crossed. Might be a B-side. We're trying to do a B-side. Uh, we'll see. If not, we'll catch you the following week. Uh, thanks for listening. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.